Here they come! Welcome to episode 187 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today myself and Andrew Glazebrook return to Battle Beyond the Stars to look at the first flight of the spaceship, Nell. Say hello to my little friend! There's a delay here in, in putting this episode out because a while back when Rebel Moon came out, I watched it and everyone's going on about, oh, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. And I'm watching it thinking Battle Beyond the Stars, Battle Beyond the Stars, Battle Beyond the Stars. And of course, when I think about that film, I think about you. So I messaged you, didn't I? And I said, uh, can you watch Rebel Moon? And then afterwards, we'll have a talk about what we thought about it and that will lead into Battle Beyond the Stars. But how far into Rebel Moon did you actually get? It took me about three goes to get about 20, 25 minutes in. And you've gone no further? No. I don't blame you, really. I think it was just the fact that I thought this is only part one of two parts as well, so that made it even more of a chore because I thought if this was only a single thing... But I assume it is an open-ended story, is it? I don't know, and I don't care. No, I wasn't engaged <laughs> in it in the slightest. I can't remember any of it. And I think the reason I can't remember much of it is I was on my phone or, or, or doing something, um, you know, cutting my toenails or something. I was doing anything except watching it because I wasn't engaged in it for one second. I think... I watched the trailer and I thought the trailer seemed okay, but with that sort of typical Zack Snyder, I think when he did <clears throat> 300 and when he did Watchmen, he essentially had two comic books to act as the best storyboard you could ever have. Yeah. Um, but everything else he's kind of filmed beyond that for me has just been a complete mess. Uh, he did, again, the, the one he did... Uh, with the girls in it, there was four girls. And, sucker um, Punch. Sucker Punch. Yeah. I got about 20 minutes into that and I thought, you know, even the sort of nice ladies didn't manage to sort of pull me in for the rest of the movie. I just give up. It just, oh, it was absolute nonsense. So, yeah, I, I didn't get very far into that as well. There's just no substance to his films. You know, they can look very flashy and technically they're well done, but there's just no heart. There's no emotion. There's no substance. I, I'm just left cold by all of them. It's it's almost like you need to hire somebody like him to be a, a designer or a cinematographer or something, yeah. but not not to be the writer or a director of these things. Or if if he is going to direct, like I said about Watchmen and Three Hundred, give him something he can work from. Mm. Yeah, uh, because I, I really do rate those two. You know, I like those two films of his, but I say it, it's purely because he was working from other people's material. And a lot of those shots really are like you know taken from the panels, aren't they? Yeah. Those two movies. Oh, they're brought to life, aren't they? Definitely, mm. definitely. Yeah. The only yeah. good thing about watching Rebel Moon was it gave me a hankering to watch Battle Beyond the Stars again, which is yeah. a light, 
a gazillionth of the budget of a Zack Snyder film, and yet it has got warmth and it has got, you know, characters that we can like and yeah. recognise and names that you can remember and, and, and what have you. And yeah, it's a low budget film. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, that you give it a pass, don't you? Yeah. I think when people were talking about the fact that Zack Snyder had taken uh, an idea that he pitched originally as a Star Wars movie and then turned it into Rebel Moon, that's where they were getting the Star Wars element from. But equally, George Lucas took an Akira Kurosawa movie yep. and turned it into Star Wars. That's where they were getting the Star Wars element from. He took The Seven Samurai yep. and, and, and wrote a Star Wars script about it. When they rejected him, he turned it into Rebel Moon. So it wasn't like he just wrote an actual original Star Wars film. He'd already taken the George Lucas route of taking a yeah. Kurosawa property and adapting it. So Yeah, and Battle Beyond the Stars did the same thing. Exactly. Seven yeah. Samurai, yeah. But, you know, even though Star Wars took the Seven Samurai and, and George Lucas went his own way with it, I mean, you know... Um, the similarities you, you must have seen in that opening 20 minutes that you did see, the similarities with Battle Beyond the Stars, with yeah. the big yeah. spacecraft coming along to this uh, agricultural planet and saying, I'm going to come back, I want all your crops, and a yeah. lone person going off. That is Battle Beyond the Stars, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been used, obviously, the Magnificent Seven, the Bugs Life movie did it for Pixar yeah. with the yeah, uh, good point. With, with those insects that come to their village. So, um, yeah, there's several movies that have done it as well. Um, it's a classic storyline, really, isn't it? You know, kind of yeah. like, let, let's hire some hired guns. Um, Three Amigos is a similar one, isn't it? It's kind of, a, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's got like a similar type of thing. Uh, but they're obviously, you know, not... The, 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 it's, a, it's a bit like the Bugs Life. They don't realise that they are the heroes until sort of the end of the movie sort of thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this was the springboard. Um, Rebel Moon was going to be the springboard into an... Uh, not that we need an excuse to talk about Battle Beyond the Stars, but here we are. We're back at Battle Beyond the Stars. And, of course, you were here the first time round. And I think, yeah. I think what we're going to do every time we return to Battle Beyond the Stars... You can be the co-host because I know I, I know you're a fan of the film. It's got an interesting backstory. There's interesting people who went on to uh, um, bigger things involved yeah. with it. And before we have, we, we, we urge the listener to go and seek out the the first time we went, which is when we talked about the opening of Battle Beyond the Stars. But that's as far as we went. So today we're looking at another sequence, the second sec uh, special effects sequence we see in the film, which is now. When we uh, we uh, find out Zed's ship, which mm. is described in the film as a junk pile, it's not exactly the Millennium Falcon in the way of junk, is it? No. No. Um, and I thought what we would do, Andrew, you don't know this, but I, what I thought we would do is every time we come back to Battle Beyond the Stars, you're the co-host. And I thought right. what we'll do moving on is we'll come back to all of the, you know, the group that are gathered together and talk about the special effects sequences around them and their ship. All right. Yeah, so we, yeah. we've already had the opening with John Saxton's big battle cruiser. Um, and here we are, we're going to talk about now the, uh, yeah, well, most definitely female spaceship. Yeah. Spent my whole life in that city now. First time away from home. I'm your home now, kid. What 
do you think it is, Kalo? Maybe some of them trying to escape to another planet. What do you think we should do? We don't have orders about escape attack. So? So we blow it up. <laughs> Just to be on the safe side. <laughs> Just one, but it's coming full thrust. Okay, now what do I do? Now what do I do? Lock in on target. Weapons activated. Now. Blast them! I can't. What? I can't. I mean, if, I, if we blast them, we're going to tip our hand. Wait a minute. Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Can we outrun them? We sure as hell can't outfight them. Not with you in the driver's seat. Zed ship is a junk pile, it says. But the first time we ever see it is in that hangar. Mm. And we got like a port side shot from the rear. And then we get this full on shot of Nell there with the, the obligatory James Horner blast of trumpets. Um, now, this Nell. Is, is a decidedly different style of spaceship, especially from a Roger Corman film. And, and of course, this is an awful lot to do with who was working behind the scenes. But usually, and I'm not running down Roger Corman films, but usually the budget isn't much on the special effects and therefore you're not going to get much in the way of, you know, anything too original in the way of spacecraft design. But here with Nell, this is a very distinctive, unusual shape, isn't it? I really like the introduction to the actual sequence because it's almost like they're opening a hangar door. Mm. Um, like I think it, like it is been, meant to be a hangar door, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like it, like it's been behind some big steel door in 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 the in the docking bay in the cave or whatever. Um, so that's a nice uh, shot as well. You know, there's a lot of shots in this movie which, you know, I think didn't necessarily need to be in, but they are and add to the quality. You wouldn't have needed the hangar door shot at all, um, but it's there and it's great. It's really, really well done. Yeah, and of course, yeah, we, let's mention Mr. Cameron, shall we? Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, James Cameron has his mitts all over this. Yeah. Um, and um, I, do you know who, um, you know, sculpted the initial form of the nail ship? Uh, well, I think it was Al Alec Gillis, uh who went on to obviously work with Stan Winston in his makeup department, but uh, him and James Cameron, I think, worked hand-in-hand hand sculpting the actual basic form, as far as I've read. It's very organic, isn't it? It's very mm. curvy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to skirt round two, two yeah. possible points of yeah. contention, if you forgive the uh, play on words there. Um, it's it's almost got like a slight sort of cross between uh, the H.R. Giga and almost like a, a Rodney Matthews, uh, Roger Dean type kind of weirdness to it, like an organic feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it, it does have a Giga. I mean, if it had been grey, it probably would have looked more Giga, but because it's that orange, rusty colour. Yeah, um, and in some shots it's fleshy toned, and because of the two protuberances at the front, that makes yeah. it even more startling. Um, it's like you should be wearing a bra, love, really, yeah. shouldn't you? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, it also reminds me of um, season three, Blake Seven, where they decided to start doing more organic, you know, yeah. curvy shapes for the spaceships there. And a show we do on Patreon now uh, on Star Maidens, you get uh, model work there that, that that has a very organic look to it, and and I'm all for it. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of you know uh, kit bashing and turning you know yeah. existing shapes into hard slabbed you know panelled lined pieces of what could easily be earth based technology. But yeah, I think the whole point about Nell looking like she does is that this is not Earth. This is not an alien col. It's not an Earth colony. This is an alien planet, isn't it? Well, that, going back to the Blake 7, I think it was in the episode where there was the medical ship in Season 3, yep. um, which is actually even the same sort of colour as Nell. It was that kind of sandy, browny, rusty colour uh, with yep. the organic. The one that um, they pick up Callie on, which Serverland yeah, happens to be on. I think it's Aftermath. Is, is yeah, I think yeah. that's the story. But, yeah. but it was a very similar sort of feel to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and and I'm all for it. And, and you know, what really helps in this opening shot of, of Nell coming out the hangar is, is the lighting as well. You know, mm. the lighting is very good. It's very dark. You can barely see the ship. The camera's really down low. Always a good yeah. idea when you're filming a miniature. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. What do you think of the interiors? Because old John Boy goes inside and it's all, I don't know, to me, it, it, it looks like a more polished Buck Rogers. It's like Buck Rogers with pretensions to be alien with some of those light panels and things. Well, this was the point where James Cameron, I think, kind of like really came into his own because supposedly before he came on board, all of the ship interiors were very generic. And I think Cameron was the one who sort of decided that each interior should at least, you know, sort of be sympathetic to the actual outside of the ship. So, you know, the the inside, the, the actual area where he, where he sits, where uh, he speaks to Nell, is very in keeping with the outside. The little area where he goes, where all the computer switches are, look like something from probably Battlestar Galactica, mm. uh, you know, where the, the Cylons would probably be. But uh, the rest of the ship's interior actually does feel like it is the inside of the exterior. Um and I think that was the whole point was, you know, I think before Cameron, um, he sort of stated that there were just going to be very generic cobbled together interiors, which, you know, he, he you know, put his own stamp on. Mm, yeah, um, it's a bit startling watching it. I mean, you know, the visuals are really good, but you've got mm. re very recognisable sound effects. I mean, when those um, when those engines fire up, that's the phaser sound from Star Trek. Yeah, is is used for that, um, and uh, yeah. Then, then we cut to um, Kalo and the other bloke in that fighter, yeah. which is uh, which has been ordered to you know make sure nobody leaves the planet. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, they they spot Nell approaching, decide to blow it up, um, and um, yeah, again, it it kind of takes me out of it because you get this little battle in 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 the atmosphere and the sound effects of the of this fighter ship, they're, they're very uh, Battlestar Galactica. In fact, I think they're exactly Battlestar Galactica mm. um, effects. What always gets me about science fiction films like this is that kind of narrow-mindedness that, like, you've got this entire planet and yet everything that seems to be taking place seems to be taking place just in that one little area. Mm -hmm. You know, 
is there no ships or other colonies on the other side of the planets? You know, yeah, you, you know, can it, scarper. Yeah. that would be that would be the equivalent of kind of like just sort of you know sort of somebody coming to Earth and there just being some kind of tiny rural community in the middle of Dorset, you know, yeah. and and that's all that the planet is. Um, you know, not the fact that there's other countries and other continents and things like that. So yeah, it's a it's a very simple thing to do in a film like this, but you you do logically think well. Yeah, are they the only people that live on this planet, just in this one little area? Maybe that whole planet has only got space Dorset. That's all there is. That's what. <laughs> that's why he goes to it. The, the the rest of the planet's empty. But yeah. I do like all the, as they go up and into space. There's some really nice uh, rolling shots of the ships. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. it might be low budget, but you know the camera work is really good. Um, I'm assuming the ships are on uh, the ships are either on gimbals that roll or the camera is moving to achieve the role but that that very well done yeah i think the motion control system used i think used utilized what star wars did it was a motion control rig and i think they had ships on rigs as well so you know it was the full system mm. uh, that they were using so uh, yeah i mean probably not a lot of the shots are probably a little bit darker than star wars and not quite got the the brightness of the star wars space shots but that could be transfers and things like that. I've never seen this on the big screen, so I wouldn't know what to look like at the uh, cinema. Oh, I, I showed it. It, it yeah. was a double bill, and it was like second feature to something or other, but I can't remember what that is. But yeah. I can remember liking it right from the get-go, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's cheesy, and, yeah, Robert Vaughan really doesn't look like he's barely awake, you know? And <laughs> George Pappard's uh, um, performance is, is odd. Um but uh, no, I, I I like it. I mean, it is a it is a true you know cult film, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, you're always going to get somebody who's going to criticise it and say it's a load of junk. But for the most part, I think most of my friends actually really thoroughly enjoy it for what it is. And like you said, it it's pulp sci-fi, comic book sci-fi, isn't it really? So, you know, what's not to like? Yeah, and 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 I like the um, the organicness of it. I, we haven't really said, but inside, I mean, you know, John Boy there, he's he's refusing to shoot, so mm. they've got no cho choice but to outrun them, which enrages Nell. Yeah. And when they actually do leave uh, orbit, and the fighter has to hang back because of fear of what John Saxon will do to them, you know, Nell's quite in, enraged. And I always think when you see Nell, Nell's vo focal point in that cockpit is that ball with like tape over it. I always mm. think that there is a similarity to uh, Zen in Blake 7, but yeah. more so um, um, Tim in yeah. uh, The Tomorrow People had, had right, a glowing yeah. ball with, with, with changing lights like that, didn't it? Yeah. I always thought as well what was quite amusing was the fact that those two mutant characters which are on board the, the ship following, uh, you know, they were quite... I suppose there was sort of slightly comedy relief at times. Um, but then really every time you see one of the ships afterwards, they were just that kind of like hunchback with a crash helmet on pressing buttons. Yeah. Uh, you never sort of see any more of those mutant guys really. Those mutant the... guys, I, I just found them very distracting. Those, those huge, great, you know... Splits down the foreheads. <laughs> Gorges. <laughs> How can you, you be alive with, with with your head almost cleaved in two like that? Yeah. Yeah, the only other one that was similar was obviously the one which is like on Sador's ship itself, isn't it? Like the, his kind of, not right, well, is it his right-hand man, possibly? Yeah. Uh, um, 
So, yeah, they were the only ones like that. But it's almost like they run out of budget towards the end of the movie and said, we can't afford to do any more of these makeups. Let's just stick somebody in a crash helmet. Yeah, could be, could be. Yeah. But I um, think um, I think it might have been possibly Steve Neal who, who did those makeups for those two guys. Right. Um, there was there was a couple of makeup artists, Rick Stratton, Steve Neal, uh, but I, I think it might have been Steve Neal that did those. Now, I think they're pretty decent makeups for what they are. Yeah. Can you um, um, give me a heads up, <coughs> excuse me, to me and the listener, if you know of it, what is, I'm, I'm dropping you in it, Andrew, but, but do you off the top of your head know of a publication that gives you some really good in-depth, you know, information on like the makeup and the behind the scenes of Battle Beyond the Stars? Oh, not, not that I've ever really seen, no. Um... There's been no sin effects devoted to it no there's been no i mean even cine fantastic back in the day i don't think there was any, probably the best articles that i've seen are probably the ones in fantastic films the interview with chuck kaminsky mm -hmm. or kaminsky it might be kaminsky uh there was an interview with him um where he was talking about the miniatures and there were some pictures of the weapons and i think there was also one of the models of the akira village that's probably one of the best articles i've seen um what it needs is what we've got now. I'm looking across at my bookcase, and you know, you've got these big, lavish, hardback books like uh, The Making of Big Trouble in Little China and Flash Gordon yeah, and Conan yeah. the Barbarian, Escape from New York. You know, they, they should really come out with one of these, you know? Well, what they really need is the, we've talked about these two guys <laughs> before, but they need a book on the Scortak brothers. Oh, yes. That, that's what we actually need, is we just need an actual book about their work, because if it was about their work, then this would be covered, because it's one of their kind of, you know, early films. They should do it. You know, we've just had a Greg Jine leave us, and it's yeah. like, yeah, no, th th these guys are getting older and older, and when they're yeah. gone, all that knowledge they've got, all that information, it's going to be gone forever, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, what always struck me about Nell as a ship, which I thought was quite funny, was the fact that, pretty much it's symmetrical but then it has that kind of weird single blister on one side of the yeah and i i it took me a long time to realize that was actually not symmetrical i just assumed there was that was on both sides and then suddenly i think it was when the model came out actually and i'd seen the pictures i thought why, why has it only got the, the yeah i've blister? got that model that's the fantastic plastic model and it's yeah. like hang on there's only one on one side and and now with the internet you can look into it or or, or screen yeah. grabs you can actually work that out but yeah yeah that was a bit of a quandary when i first started making that and it's an unusual design choice because everything else is symmetrical and it's not like there's anything in the movie that references that single blister as some kind of you know uh observation part or something where you go okay this is why he's looking out of there but yeah i don't know what, what the situation Ooh. was with that do you think maybe it's practical? Maybe that blister covers up a, 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 a mountain point, and if you took that off, you could then put a mountain rod in, film it mm. from the other side, maybe. Poss possibly, yeah. I know that the um, the system that they used, which was this, what was called the Elicon motion control system, um, now I think if you go to Special Effects Volume 2, the Starlog one, Oh yeah. Uh, there's an actual um, article in that about Elicon motion control, and I think it shows you them filming the um, the Hammerhead. And this was a, a system of motion control which didn't use blue screen. It was uh, essentially um, 
the first pass was to shoot the actual miniature, um, and then the second pass, they would actually then darken the miniature and they would backlight um, and create a silhouette pass. And then that silhouette pass was put in the optical printer to mask out the, the ship while the stars were then added. So it's a very cheap way of creating a mat by actually filming the ship as a silhouette. I think they still had to do some hand rotoscoping of like the, uh, the mounting points and stuff out. But unlike the blue screen process, which you know had several sort of chemical processes, this was a lot simpler. It's essentially called a front light, front light, backlight mat. Um, but surely, if you, yeah, but if you do that what that way, and and you're basically, as you say, using a silhouette over mm. the star field, you're you're eliminating the chance of a mat line then, because then you're just superimposing the ship back over its own silhouette, so you don't have a glowing line around the ship, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to have any problem with blue spill, uh, you know, mm. anything like that. So, you know, it, it is a simpler system. I, not many of the shots of the ships were against any kind of thing light, really. They were nearly always against star fields. So maybe it doesn't create a great map if you were, say, compassing it over snow or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, the, the Elicon motion control system was kind of seen as the bargain basement sort of mo motion control system at the time. Um, I'm not too sure who developed it, but um, you know, there's definitely in it's either Starlog Volume Two or Starlog Volume Three. The special effects. So there's an actual one or two page thing about Elicon that explains about the system. Um, and I always oh, really, really liked the the effects. You know, um, the quality of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I assume the, the lasers were done the same way Star Wars and the rotoscope stuff. Yeah, uh, the only thing that lets it down are the sound effects. We've heard them before. If you had some sort of like original yeah. sound effects, then you, I, I think that would have been more effective. Yeah. 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 It was quite interesting when uh, Nell fires how they actually, you know, I mean, not only the laser beam's pink, uh, to say it's probably a girl ship, but the the sort of tried to rotoscope almost like the glow from the laser beam onto mm. the actual you know, section around where it was firing from to give it a bit of spill just to kind of, you know, and that was quite an inventive thing to do, you know, for the, for them. Uh, they didn't have to do that, but uh, I thought it was a nice touch that they'd actually bothered to try and create that kind of glow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, they could have easily shone a, a pink light every time they wanted the laser beams to fire on the actual miniature and it probably would have worked as well, but... Uh, Mm. Yeah. Have you seen anywhere um, any interviews with James Cameron um, talking about, you know, Battle Beyond the Stars? Is he is he pleased? Um, do you know about, you know, his contribution and, and, and how the film was? Yeah, I'm sure I have read stuff with him where he, you know, he he kind of he's seen it obviously as this great sort of like way of getting into the industry to to do all of these shots and. The, the one I do remember was the fact that he said that, um, I think he'd said one day to Roger Corman about uh, one of the sequences, and he'd said to him, um, we could do that as a foreground miniature. And Roger Corman said, oh, really? He said, you know, is that possible? And he said, yeah. And he said, I'd sort of said this, but didn't really understand exactly what a foreground miniature was. I, had a, I think he had a basic idea. So he said, I went home uh, and over the weekend when he wasn't doing any of the work, he he got a book out of the library and read up on it. <laughs> so he, he was a bit of a blagger, but, you know, he was a blagger who actually produced results. Yeah. So it would know, be it... good. I mean, 
I mean, I don't know about you, but my version, I've just got the uh, the Spanish version, which is called called Los Seven Magnificos del Espacio. Um, yeah, because it's never not come out been over a, here, has it? Yeah. No, no, it's never come out. And um, yeah, it'd be really good if a, a definitive, you know, Arrow produced a a, a, a big old, um, you know, definitive well, Blu-ray with lots of extras on. Well, what's weird is obviously it came out in. Um, America on Blu-ray um, via, I think it was um, Shout Factory, mm -hmm. and that was a while ago. Now, what happened last year, or yeah, I think it was last year, is uh, eighty-eight films released Galaxy of Terror, right. which was you know from the same era of um, yeah. you know the the Roger Corman sci-fi films of the nineteen eighties, and that version. Uh, from what I gather, is exactly the same as the Shout Factory version. And it's even got the documentaries. And I think at the end it gives credit to Shout Factory for the actual interviews. Right. So I was thinking, oh, great, okay, they've released Galaxy Terror on 88 films. We might get Forbidden World. We might get, um, you know, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Mm -hmm. And yet yet nothing seems to have happened. So I don't know why they just picked up Galaxy of Terror, which is obviously, again, another Rod, uh, Roger Corman film which James Cameron worked on. Um and it's but, far inferior to Battle Beyond the Stars, in my opinion. You know, I, I, I much yeah, prefer this one. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I do have a soft spot again for Galaxy Terror, but I do prefer Battle Beyond the Stars. Um, and I think the good thing about Battle Beyond the Stars, as we've seen about the ships, is um, you've got such a diversity of ships from uh, Nell to the uh, Nesta ship to Gelt ship to St. X-Men ship to Cowboy ship. Mm -hmm. um, you know they're all easily identifiable and that's another kind of um, one of those classic things is if you can see something in silhouette and identify it quite quickly then you know you're already onto a winning thing because you, you're not going to get lost in any of the battle sequences as to who's who exactly um, and and you know we know the bad we we know the bad guys got the big ship we know the bad guys got those fighters and everybody else's ship we kind of know so yeah the, the you you never second guessing anything in any of the uh, dog fights as to who's fighting no. who and that's a um, really good idea i mean that's exactly what star wars did didn't it yeah. Um, yeah and i thought because of that we'll we we'll start a new thing for this show for just exclusively for <laughs> battle beyond the stars every time we we return and look at a, a separate character and their ship we'll vote on their ship yeah. So if you don't mind today, Andrew, we've got two ships to vote on today. Out of ten, just out of, straight out of ten, we've got Nell and we've got the battleship, John Saxton's battleship, because we've got to retroactively vote mm. on that. So yeah. which, which one do you want to give out of ten first? Uh, Nell. Go on then. What do you give Nell out of ten? All right. Both its, its look, its design, and how it's, uh, you know, got across on screen. Well... About two weeks ago on Instagram, somebody put up a post and said, if you could own a single prop from a movie, what would it be? And you had the normal people saying a T1, yeah, sorry, the T800 or the Pulse mm -hmm. Rifle or the Power Loader or a life-size X-Wing. I said Nell from Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> you know, if, if it was a single prop I could own, that would be like one of the ones that I would absolutely love. So I'm going to give it a 10 because I think it's absolutely brilliant. Fair enough. I gave it a nine. All right. So that's out of the gate. We've got a nine and a half. Yeah. Blimey. And uh, John Saxton's battleship. I mean, you look at an image of that. That's a bad guy ship, isn't it? You know? Yeah. 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 I'm going to give that a seven and a half. 
seven and a half. All right. Yeah. Well, I gave I gave that an eight. All right. Mm. Because, yeah, um, like you say, and it's something I've never really thought about with this film is you can clearly see whose ship is who. Yeah. In every time each of them arrives. Can't, can't, can't you? I think that kind of whole thing of just jamming too much into the screen these days, just you lose that kind of connection with who's doing what. Um, and if you lose the connection with who's piloting one ship and how that's involved in the battle, you, you're losing the audience. And I think, you, yeah. you know, that, that you need to keep things sometimes just basic. Yeah. You know, he's he ship A, he's ship B, this is who's in them and this is what they're doing. Yeah. But yeah, did, very you, good did, point. You, did you see the video recently about that? The shot of the um, the Sador ship, um, the fighter craft was actually one of the most used shots. It's essentially the visual version of the Wilhelm scream. Um, somebody put a video together of all of the other movies that that shot's been used <laughs> in, of it just flying past. And, you know, I, I know obviously uh, Corman himself used it again in films like Space Raiders, but there's been numerous other productions. And for, for me, it kind of cheapens Battle Beyond the Stars because Battle Beyond the Stars for me had such great special effects and such a great movie that to just then farm out those effect yeah, shots to other movies. Absolutely everywhere. Is it the shot where it's going left to right and it's sort of like banked yeah. to one side, right? Yeah, it's wow. essentially just it flying and firing, but you know, it, it, it's flipped sort of, you know, sometimes left to right, right to left. Um, and they just said, you know, it is not only is it in Battle Beyond the Stars an awful lot, as in they just keep reusing that shot, but it's been used in numerous other films. And I say a lot of these films on this list I'd never even heard of. Um, but uh, the other thing I always thought was amusing about the reusage of the special effects from this was in Forbidden World, which is the uh, other kind of common alien one. The main character and his uh, his robot are on a ship at the beginning, but for some bizarre reason, they don't use like one of the more human-looking ships, like cowboy ships. They use the Nestor ship, which is this kind of glowing yeah. flying saucer. And you're thinking, it just doesn't look like that would what, be. They made that, did they? Yeah, they yeah. wouldn't be travelling. It. I, I don't know whether it was just a case of like what shots have you got of the ship and which ones can we use. But yeah, I always thought that was a really duff choice to to use the inside mm. of the spaceship and then use the Nestor ship as the outside. You know, I'd have much rather have seen them use, say, Cowboy ship or even yeah. John, John Saxon's ship. Uh, it just didn't make any sense. But that's, you know, that it has cheapened the movie by the, the, the Horn of Skull being used in probably several other movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it certainly has. I mean, uh, is it Space Raiders, I think, pretty much uses all the special effects shots yeah. and the music. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of people almost see that as like a, a semi-sequel to Battle Beyond the Stars in a way. No, no, um, it's doing it a disservice. Yeah. 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 The um, the fighter ship that you you were mentioning, we're going to vote on that another time, all right? Not today. Yeah. But but the battleship got 7.75, all right? Yeah, so there are yeah. two scores. But now we have to vote on uh, the effectiveness of the whole effect sequence from the hangar bays, if if that was a hangar bay door opening, the reveal of Nell right up until Nell leaving the star system. Uh, yeah. As a whole, special effects wise, what do you give it out of ten? I'd probably give it a, a seven point five again. Seven point five. I gave it yeah. an eight again. Yeah. So that's seven point seven five. All right. Do, that's do, not do bad. Was, there, was, there was some shots in that sequence where these spaceships flying over the miniature landscape where you see the explosions going off, and then the, there's a 
a couple of point of view shots which aren't so hot really um mm -hmm. I don't mind the shots where you're seeing it from the side or when you're seeing it from even above, but it's just those point of view shots with the explosions going off for a little bit. I'm not going to say BBC. Well, I suppose I will say BBC, but... Go on, you can say it. That's not really putting down the BBC, because if they were in a BBC show, you'd probably think we're magnificent. Yeah. All right, OK, so that's 7.75, which is, isn't bad for a low-budget science fiction film, and I'm sure, you know, it sits alongside some uh, really uh, stellar... Uh, sequences so yeah. that's that and that's us done for today we will as I say we will be coming back we will get the Sybil eventually don't yeah. worry but we're doing it in sequence and off the top of my head the next special effects sequence we get in this film is the space station is it not that's where old John Boy goes next Hephaestus station yeah yeah, yeah, and yeah. meets up with the girlie. So we get a new spaceship there, and we get the space station. So that's our uh, discussion next time, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, that's us done. So thanks for coming along today. Um, I don't know whether I should say I'm sorry you couldn't see Rebel Moon. <laughs> I think it's actually <laughs> might, might, might have been a, a wise choice not to, but uh, at least it gave us a springboard to return to this uh, yeah. favourite of ours, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cheers. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Andrew. See you bye then. Bye. Right. Bye-bye.